the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And uh, as always, I encourage you to go over to ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com is a sub stack there where I write at further length on a number of these topics and uh, make sure you check it out. Also, please go to PhyllisSchlafly.com and sign up for the daily email, the daily wink. What you need to know, uh, get it every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast um, uh, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, people get it. Uh, tens of thousands. I think it's up to like 40,000 people get the wink. The daily email gives you a few uh, facts, a few quotes, a few links, and generally one, sometimes two points that you need to know that you're not seeing. And that's what we're here to do. So welcome again to the Pro America Report. I'm Ed Martin. Super to be with you at Eagle Ed Martin on social media, Ed Martin Live, excuse me, at Eagle Ed Martin on X, uh, Ed Martin Live over on Facebook, and just plain old Ed Martin on uh, Instagram. So um, today, what you need to know, I, I've been doing a bunch of reading on this topic, the topic of due process. I've been listening to people talk about how the uh, American legal system is set up to protect we the people. It's set up by we the people. It's got a, a sort of systemic protection in it, often broadly described as due process rights, due process rights. Now, let me pause. I'm actually writing a piece to post over at Substack. It's a little bit longer. It's called They're Stealing the Crown Jewels Right Before Our Eyes. Uh, and it goes like this. If you go to London, you can see the crown jewels. So they're over by the Tower of London. There's a big museum. Uh, you can go in there and you can see the crown and the scepter and the ring and all of the jewels, gold and, and the, the crown jewels are made of gold and platinum and they have all these uh, um, uh, rare gems on them. You can go over to Buckingham Palace. You can go to uh, Westminster Abbey, and you'll see the the um, the trappings, and not just the trappings of the crown and the monarchy, but also the the pieces of the puzzle. You have to sit on a throne. I think the throne is in Westminster Abbey. Um, there is a special stone that is inside the bottom of the throne that symbolizes the monarchy. And what is this all about? Well, the crown jewels are related to the crown and related to the king. In England, God gives sovereignty to the king, and the king grants it out to his people, to his subjects. That's the term. Well, in America, we don't have a king. We don't have crown jewels the same way. We don't have a crown. We don't have a, a crown. We don't have a throne. 
But we have crown jewels. The crown jewel, let's say, if you say, what's the crown jewel of America? It's the Constitution and the rule of law and the founding values. I, I, I If you want to call it a stool, it's got three legs. The Constitution, the rule of law, and our founding values. All three. You have to have all three. And we, we, well, we don't have to. The, the, all three, the presence of all three at the beginning of our nation and then down through the ages has given us the legal system and the protection that's so good. And it's characterized a lot of times by due process, a system where you have a right to confront your accuser and to know what you're charged with, to know how the, the, the charge came about, uh, to resist the charge with counsel, to be in an impartial tribunal. All these protections are not just because we like the citizens more than we like the power. It's because the power comes from we, the people. It's our sovereignty that we grant to our nation from ourselves. We get into another time how we really the sovereignty we grant is to our states where we live in our states and the states are are sort of the coming together of that power and sovereignty. It's a, it's our particular system. It's ingenious. It's divinely inspired. But all of that is a warm up to tell you this. More and more, I have to say, we're dominated, and it's not surprising, we're dominated day to day by fake news, by the news that lies to us, that if you actually know what's going on and know who the players are, you say, that's just not how that's playing out. That's just not. An example I have, which is imperfect, is Ukraine. We were told by the press, by the fake news, what the Ukraine was about. It was about freedom. It was about resisting tyranny against uh, Russia's invasion and all that. More and more, you're realizing, by the way, it's, it's, there's still a war going on, but the media is not covering it now. It's moved on to other things. But more and more, it's, it's coming out. It's corruption on all sides. Still aggression by Russia and Putin, of course. But yeah, the the places that were uh, uh, that were that are at risk and that are at uh, uh, in this uh, terrible war are places that are dominated by Russian people that want to be part of Russia, not part of Ukraine. And, and the point is, we were sold a bill of goods, a fake news, and it happens all the time. But here's the bigger problem: is history a lie? Or say it better: is history not just written by the winners, as the line goes, but is history rewritten and is it fake? Meaning. Is there anything about it that is really honest or is it all done sort of for our own good? Now, if you're a parent, you know that sometimes you tell your children things that you tell them what you want them to know so that they don't have to uh, be be damaged by the rest of it. It's your job as a parent is to shelter your children and to train them. And so I want my children to to I, I want to say to my children, you have you have faith in God and you say your daily prayers because it makes you better. It doesn't do that every day. Some days you don't feel better. Maybe that's a better way to say it. And so, but you, you don't tell your kids, some days you're going to feel terrible. Some, you don't say to your kids, some, some, sometimes you're going to have a period in your life where you're so frustrated with how things are going or, or you're worried about things or you got health issues and you're going to say to yourself, I don't know if I believe in all this stuff and you got to hang in there. You don't tell your kids that when they're 10 because you're trying to form them. That's an imperfect example, I admit. But I'm for. The Pledge of Allegiance as a boy. I said the Pledge of Allegiance as a boy every every day at school. And that we would sing the Star Spangled Banner and you would you would have patriotic, patriotic formation, you can call it, or you could call it brainwashing if you want. But I call it formation. That's formation. That's what we do to ourselves. If you're again, if you're a Christian, one of the parts of formation is repeated, repeated uh recitation and hopefully uh out loud of the gospel. Of the, of the words of God, the words of, that are given to us as a gift in Scripture. So 
But when you look at history, you say to yourself now, are they were they lying to us? Are they and do they think it's for our own good? And here's a simple example on due process. I was reading Alan Dershowitz, who's a prolific writer, you know, he's a, in his 80s. He was at Harvard for, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years. Prolific writer, very smart guy. And he's got a book called Get Trump. And the book is uh, from uh, our friends at Skyhorse Publishing. Get Trump by Alan Dershowitz. And the, the, the subtitle is The Threats, excuse me, The Threat to Civil Liberties, Due Process, and Our Constitutional Rule of Law. It's a short book, a couple hundred pages, Skyhorse Press. What Dershowitz goes through all these things, but at the end, he 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 uh, a prince in the book, one of his earlier writings on John Adams and on the Boston Massacre. And often I do it, too. Often people like me cite the Boston Massacre and the fact that John Adams was the lawyer for the British soldiers who were the ones that pulled the trigger when the Boston Massacre ended up you know, killing uh, these so-called protesters. Well, if you read Dershowitz. And he's looked at the transcript of the trials and studied the Boston Massacre. There were two trials. What what he basically says is be careful praising John Adams for being such a hero and taking on an unpopular defendant. He said half of Boston was for the the uh, the Redcoats and half was for the, uh, the, the 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 victims or, you know, the massacre. And the reality was when you read the transcript. These you know, five or so young soldiers, Boston's, uh, excuse me, uh, British soldiers were cornered by a mob that outnumbered them by a hundred was hundreds of people. I don't know if it was 500, but it was somebody says that in there, but it's clearly outnumbered them and they felt cornered and they felt threatened and they felt almost, Alan Dershowitz says, almost to the point where a self-defense uh, defense was warranted. And my point here is only this. I hadn't heard that. I had been fed the, the, the message of history that the Boston Massacre was, you know, uh, the Redcoats were out of control. They marched up and here were people protesting and they shot them. And, you know, it was unfair. It was all this. And, and, and that's what we're taught in part to justify and to motivate and to understand what happened, the, the, what the revolution was about. But the history is, like most things, much more nuanced. The history is much more complex, richer, I suppose, but not as easy. So now the question is, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's uh, the Boston Massacre and, and and the role there of John Adams, pick a topic, and especially pick a topic in the last 40 years, and say JFK assassination, Vietnam, have we been told the truth? Has history, is history fake history? The last thing I'll say on this, I'm going to run out of time. When you watch Morning Joe on MSNBC, it's a, it's a crazy show, right? It's one thing to see crazy Claire McCaskill, a former Democrat senator who's just a partisan and she's, she plays a role. But Michael Beschloss had a two or three decade career as a historian, and he, a presidential historian. And I, I thought until five years ago that he was serious, a serious guy. Watch him on Morning Joe, and you say to yourself, this guy is no more a historian. He's a political player, a hack. And then say to yourself, is the history he's written or other histories? Pick a one, pick one. Presidential histories. Are they fake history? It's a big problem. It's a big problem. All right, that's my observation. Fake history. More to come. Got to take a break. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Old friend Mike Davis, who has been making the rounds, and I mean he's been making the rounds. Mike Davis, of course, is the founder of the Article 3 Project. If you go to article3project.org, article3project.org, you will see a ton of uh, information, inside understandings, uh, and ways to get involved uh, defending the Constitution, the rule of law, and good judges. Welcome back, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you for having me. Uh, so, Mike, I, I was texting with you, and I told you I want to talk about due process. And, you know, again, for those that don't track it, Mike Davis, besides being a very good communicator now and a lawyer, um, he clerked at the Court of Appeals, uh, the Federal Court of Appeals. He clerked at the U.S. Supreme Court. He worked at the uh, in the executive branch at the highest levels, and also he worked uh, in, for Senator Grassley on the Judiciary Committee. So he's been all across the top levels of, of federal government and, and the federal legal system. So my question, though, Mike, is due process, as we know it, this this sort of system uh, of justice in America, the legal system based on this notion of due process, the Constitution, the rule of law, a, a, a sort of fairness of values of honesty and integrity. It's just this lawfare thing is going so fast to undermine that. Yeah. So they waited 30 months. These Democrats waited 30 months to bring these unprecedented indictments four indictments against the former president who happens to be the leading presidential candidates. And they timed these indictments and these trials to be back to back to back. So President Trump is in a courtroom and it's instead of on the campaign trail, throughout 2024. They have a trial right now with Gene Carroll's case in New York. They have a January 6th trial in D.C. scheduled for March. They have a January 6th trial in Georgia scheduled for August. They have the classified records case, the Mar-a-Lago case, I guess scheduled for, actually the Georgia case is not scheduled yet, but that, that needs to be scheduled. The classified documents case is scheduled in May. The Manhattan case with Alvin Bragg for the non-crime of settling a nuisance claim is scheduled for March. So they have January, March, March, May, and maybe another trial after that. It's just insane. This is obviously lawfare by the Democrats. It's obviously election interference. And there is proof that this is driven by President Joe Biden, his White House and his Justice Department. We're talking with Mike Davis, and again, he's the founder and the and the director of the Article Three Project. Go to article the number three project dot org. You'll see a lot of that there. You can follow him on Twitter too. He's a prolific on Twitter at m r d d m i a. That's his Twitter handle, a ridiculous Twitter handle. But uh, Mike, very specifically now, you look at the federal courts in in Washington D.C. District Court, Court of Appeals, and you look at it and you say to yourself, "Man, it looks like those prosecutors are getting away with a lot." I mean, in the D.C. bar there attacking i'd say they're attacking the right to counsel you can't if you're jeff clark you're going to find yourself tied up tight in california eastman on and on and on but that's a different part of this but you, you, you know due process means you're supposed to at least have a shot at an impartial tribunal i mean it's not that the deck is stacked the deck is not there's no chance i mean you're, you're trying to you're trying to pull a straight flush and and there's no flush available they, they took the cards out of the deck i mean the juries have been completely decimated by the onslaught of propaganda from the select committee in congress the judges are either delusional i mean they're, they're wrapped up in a myth on on the same topic but they don't seem to want to to deal within the constitution the rule of law and the prosecutors are rolling over we the people. I mean, it's there's never been anything like this, has there? 
No, the, I mean, the Demo- this is part of the law for the Democrats uh, impeached Trump twice for bogus reasons, including asking to investigate Biden's corruption in Ukraine. The Democrats have in- indicted Trump four times for non-crimes. They've brought these civil lawsuits, including the Gene Carroll cases and the civil fraud case in New York by Democrat New York Attorney General Tish James for the non-fraud of a uh, of a businessman paying back sophisticated Wall Street banks in full on time with interest. And so you have these cases brought in these Democrat hellholes like New York, D.C., and Atlanta with these Democrat judges and these Democrat prosecutors and these Democrat juries in D.C., uh, D.C. voted like 95 percent against Trump, and it's 99.99 percent Trump range because even the Republicans in D.C. are completely out of touch with reality, especially on this January 6th nonsense. There's no chance that President Trump is going to get a fair trial in New York, D.C., or Atlanta. And they've already proven that in New York with Judge Arthur Ingeron, this Manhattan judge, this Democrat judge who has this Democrat activist law clerk bizarrely sitting on the bench next to him. You and I both clerked, Ed. I don't remember sitting on the bench. <laughs> never invited. Never invited. With, with the judge for, for, whom, we cl- uh, for whom we clerked for. Uh, right. But it's just, it's so bizarre. This Judge Arthur Ingeron decreed he ruled before the trial even started before any witnesses or any other evidence that Trump somehow committed fraud this guy is so partisan and so rabid and Trump deranged he couldn't even fake it through a trial he couldn't even wait for the trial to begin to rule against Trump and yeah it's just insane you have this uh, DC Obama judge Tanya Shutkin who right. is just out to get Trump and she's been reversed by the D.C. Circuit, I mean, she, she's just rabid. So is this Arthur Ingram. When you're getting reversed by your Democrat colleagues on a on the appellate court, that just shows you how rapid you are. Uh, we're talking again, Mike Davis, uh, the founder and the head of the Article 3 Project, Article 3, the number 3 project.org. Lots of there there. Also on Twitter, uh, on X, he's very prolific and very helpful, uh, often with uh, threads that take apart some argument or something you're seeing. Uh, Mike, may I ask you uh, one specific line, uh, a question that'll get you going here? When you see the 1512, this obstruction of of official proceeding that was used, uh, in, Andrew Weissman wanted to use it on the Mueller uh, in the Mueller investigation against Trump. They basically took a, an overbroad. I'm 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 simplifying this, but an overbroad law passed and then applied it to the people they wanted to. And used the rhetoric of of, you know, insurrection and terrorism as the reason to to do this. I mean, this is it's it's not it's not getting close to the Soviet model of show me the man, I'll show you the crime. It is the Soviet model. And but my question is different, Mike. Why isn't this offensive to like 90 percent of the bar the lawyers you and i know them sometimes they're liberals but they're honest and honorable people we thought and yet the silence you know the silence is is really surprising yeah i mean i I, look i was the staff leader on the senate judiciary committee for over 70 hearings and markup meetings on the senate judiciary committee for justice kavanaugh and a whole bunch of other judicial and executive branch nominees for President Trump. And we had, you remember during the Kavanaugh proceedings, we had the proceedings interrupted within eight seconds 
right of the hearings starting, including from the spectators and the Democrat senators. We had senators threatened, chased through hallways, protesters trespassed into uh, Senate-only elevators, trespassed into offices. They made violent threats. They disrupted the, the committee proceedings. They disrupted the floor proceedings. Not a damn thing happened to them, right? And it's um, it's amazing to me how the Democrats can take these vague laws and weaponize them against their political enemies. I mean, we see the Biden Justice Department throwing everything they have, the biggest law enforcement investigation in world history right. by the Di- Biden Justice Department to go after Trump, his top aides, his lawyers, his supporters on January 6th. They're even going after parents outraged at school board meetings by the gender chaos and the resulting rapes in high school bathrooms. They're going after Christians praying outside of abortion clinics while the Biden Justice Department gives amnesty to Biden, his crooked family, Hunter and James and the rest of the Bidens who are on the Chinese and Ukrainian and Russian and Kazakh payrolls, every other spot around the world. And then the Biden Justice Department is giving amnesty to their BLM and Antifa and Hamas base and their abortion activists. We can't we're not going to survive as a republic if we have if we have a politicized and weaponized justice system yeah. deployed to go after our. Well, lives. first of all, thank you, Mike Davis. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you for being out there. And uh, if you haven't followed Mike uh, and seen, he's a fighter. And one of the things you know it's working is the left goes crazy. Uh, they can't. They go crazy on Mike Davis. It's fantastic to watch, and he takes it. Um, he he embodies exactly what the late Phyllis Schlafly used to say about Irish. She said the old joke or two Irishmen's walking down the street. He sees a fight and he goes over and taps him on the shoulder and says, this is a, a private fight or can anyone jump in? And there's Mike Davis for you. So we got to run, though. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. Mike Davis, Article 3 Project. Links up on social media. Be back in a moment. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest, I just had a wonderful, I, I always say this to our, our listeners, our next guest is M.K. Sweeney. What I say to them is I have these great conversations with people off the air that I don't record that we should just turn things on and have them on. So M.K. Sweeney is the author. Her book is called The Magi of Miriam, The Boy Who Saved the Kingdom. Uh, she herself lived all over the world and but grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. She is a lawyer, among other things, which means she knows how to read and write, uh, generally knows how to read and write well. And which is why she's able to also be uh, a uh, a writer in the books like this. And you can find her website, which is the website for the book is MagiOfMiriam.com. So welcome, M.K. Sweeney. How are you? Yeah, thank you, Ed. I'm well. Thanks for the nice introduction. Great to be on your show. Well, it's good to be on your sh- on with you. I, here's what, here's one question. I started to cover it with you off the air, but I think people care about it. You've got a busy life, career, husband, kids, and you're writing. And on your bio, it says, in the wee hours of the morning, you'll catch her writing. Being serious, you just had a story you wanted to tell, this Magi of Miriam. And first... You had to get it out, right? And it's not easy to do. I mean, I, I can't do this without my wife probably emerging from the shadows to, to give me a swat. But, you know, you had three children. Childbirth is supposed to be bad. I, I've written. Writing is really bad. It's probably just as hard. I'm, that's what I mean, my wife. would. But, I mean, how would you get this story out of you? I mean, what 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 is it that made you have to do it? 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the question. Um, as you mentioned, we have three young children, my husband and I, and mm -hmm. I was having a lot of trouble finding literature that I felt comfortable giving to them that I thought was worthwhile to read. So that was part of it. Another part was I felt pretty spiritually driven to write this book. Hmm. This is a glorification of God series, and it's told in a very action-packed, fast-moving adventure way with a lot of humor. But the crux of it is a glorification of God book. If, if the reader comes away wondering what would a relationship with God look like for me and comes away with a little bit more moral grounding and maybe overcomes some insecurities and sense of self, then I will have done a really good job with this book. And it was something, you know, that I would want my kids to read. And, and I figured some other families might be well suited with it too. We, uh, we're talking with the M.K. Sweeney, the author, and the uh, the book is um, out everywhere you get books. I'm looking uh, on um, Amazon, other places. The Magic of Miriam, uh, you can buy it directly from uh, the Magic Magi, excuse me, of Miriam uh, dot com. So the the story, Jesse Walker is the boy at the center of the story, and he goes through as a lot of times, you know, these kinds of stories a lot. And does are you writing out of your own experience when you do this kind of thing? Are you? It may not be specific, but is is that where you get this or are you writing out of observations or is it just your imagination? Yeah. So it's a great question. And I think in general authors, all authors, including fiction sort of draw different aspects of themselves and people they come across, um, cross paths with and, and things that they've experienced. So in that sense, Ed, yes, I'm writing from some level of experience. Now, this is a very fantastic story with creatures that, you know, there's another world and things of that nature. Right. So this is definitely not something that I personally have <laughs> or anyone that I know of has experienced, except that I think that everyone and kids especially have a lot of insecurities that, that they have to kind of break through and adults too. And I would say some of the theological layers in the story speak to adults for this series. But I think that while this story is made up, there's emotions and things that we all feel that are interwoven into this this series. Uh, we're talking again with M.K. Sweeney about her book, The Magi of Miriam, The Boy Who Saved the Kingdom. You know, one of the way, reasons that uh, you came to my attention is I got an email from one of your colleagues working saying, you know, how the woke stories um, and how crazy the wokeness is. Uh, and you mentioned that's partly when you started with your children to you find things for them to read. You know, again, you're an observer both now as a mom with children coming of age or, you know, coming up into reading and everything else. How how bad is the woke problem? And when I say that, I mean, you know, you're also a successful, you know, attorney having you know, to go through law school is not simple. You've been around a lot of people. How big a problem is this woke education? what it's done to us. Yeah. I mean, I think that in contemporary times in schools, you see some of these school systems and they're pressing on like transgender issues and things like that. It seems really bizarre, right? For young kids um, and such a hyper focus on sexuality, it, I find to be extremely unusual. Some of the other stuff going on in the schools seems quite odd. But and I think that all of that kind of messaging and hyper focus is very transient. Like the wokeism has not been around that long, right? Right. So it doesn't really have that much to do with this particular series, except right. that this is a traditional series, right? Glorification of God, C.S. Lewis type story. 
and I did pitch this to the publishers, um, like C.S. Lewis meets Hunger Games, right? They're like, <laughs> right, <"Why in> the- <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. Right. But so there's that kind of traditional classic, you know, good writing series, it, and it just feels cutting edge because it's against this social landscape and backdrop of wokeism. So you, this is a story that typically would have been in circulation, right? Like these glorification right. of gods, moral mm-hmm. compass overcoming insecurities, tapping into your inner strength, all of that stuff. It traditionally has been in children's literature. It just sort of in contemporary times has fallen out of place a little. And then setting aside all the wokeism, a lot of the series that were available for my kids that I was finding just felt really dumbed down. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to call out any series, but I feel like I'm getting stupider <laughs> as I read them with my kids. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to tell you that I, I, I'm going to get myself, I think I'll in trouble, but the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and all those, when you go back and study how they did it, the writers, there was a couple, Edward uh, Slatterbecks, or I'm going to say his name, basically created the whole series and paid people to write the books and they they got dumber and dumber in the sense that they became just formulaic outlines right that they were just the same things the only good thing about the hardy boys was he had rules you weren't allowed to have drugs you weren't allowed to have murder it had to be all this kind of you know soft crime and at least that part of it was good but but one second on this um oh oh, by the way i have to tease you um on on the amazon site where you get the book and again the book is the magi of miriam by mk sweeney who's our guest there's incredible there's a, a quote from charles scribner the third which i'm like oh scribner this is like the publishing thing that's big Richard H. Amberg Jr. And he's got a huge lengthy quote and he's somebody prominent. And then the best one is Vivian, Vivian Woodrum, fifth grader, Atlanta, Georgia. I love everything about this book. That's the best one right there. I know you know that. That's I'm sure that's why it's yeah. included. Yeah, that's yeah. that's fantastic. But yeah. but back to how many will this be? And and by the way, when I just told you about the Hardy Boys thing, one of the things that Edward Shatterback or however you say his name did was he always did a series. It was always at least three, even when they didn't take off. You know, Hardy Boys ended up being 50, Nancy Drew 50 or whatever. But they he'd do three no matter what, because he wanted to see if he could get people ready for it. How many will this series be? So it's funny that you bring up the three. I envision it, too, as a trilogy. I do. And part of that whole series idea for a writer, you have to spend so much of the first book introducing the characters. And especially if there's an alternate world, like doing the world building. Um, So a lot of time and energy is spent on that. And you still have to make it fun for the reader, right? Like you Mm -hmm. want them to get engaged so a lot of that is the emotional engagement of the reader and their characters, and that takes some time. So that's your first book, typically. And then for the story to develop, you sort of need, unless you're going to write like a 2,000-page book, you sort of need to break it up into a series. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. M.K. Sweeney, again, the website for her book is magiofmiriam.com, and the book is uh, The Kingdom. Uh, the Boy Who Saved the Kingdom is the uh, subtitle uh, available everywhere you get books about Jesse Walker, 12-year-old boy, and good and evil is really uh, clever thank you for taking the time to be with us and for writing and being out there and getting up at the wee hours of the morning oh let me ask you what's the next of the trilogy what's the next like what's the tell, preview it i know they always tell you to tell the the next one what's the next one and how when do you think you'll be done this spoiler alert <laughs> yeah so the, the next book in the series, I would like to name the Magi of Miriam and the Three-Headed Beast. And okay. there's this kind of, it will be get a little bit more uh, with biblical undertones um, okay. than the first in the series. Frankly, the first in the series is very light on doctrine, like hardly at all. But the, my what I would like to do, if my publisher and everybody else kind of <laughs> is on board, 
is delve into it a little bit more. And I do, Ed, before I go, I want to mm-hmm. say the Audible for this book is out and it's fantastic. It's super oh, engaging. I cool. don't read it. Somebody with a fantastic voice does. He's got like Johnny Depp voice where he can change it and make the characters really come alive. So it's really fun for long car rides with or without kids or doing work around oh, the house good. or something like that. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I love Audible and I'll, that's why I'll go, I'll go, I think I'll go on Audible. I, I've got whatever plan I have on Audible, I get a lot of, uh, they give me credits and I can pick up one. So I'll do that with yours. I, I mean, I should buy it, but I'll just tell you that up front. But uh, all right, I got to run. I'm up against the break. MK Sweeney, thank you for the time uh, and thank you for being out there uh, and uh, engaging like this. The Magic of Miriam, the Boy Who Saved the Kingdom, available anywhere you get books. We got to take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Over the last few years, the government has engaged in a gross misuse of federal funds and powers in the form of the nearly $20 million Nancy Pelosi created Select Committee on January 6th. This committee was led by Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson. Buried deep in the footnotes of the Select Committee's final report, one can find a reference to a pipe bomber. The report indicates that on January 5th, 2021, a pipe bomb was planted next to the Democrat headquarters in Washington, D.C., in a position where it could have taken out Kamala Harris and many other public servants and Democrat elected officials. The report also talks about another pipe bomb planted by the same bomber close to the Republican Dining Club, which is called the Capitol Hill Club. The second bomb could have taken out some high-profile Republicans. Two-party headquarters were targeted the night before January 6th, and both bombs were discovered and disarmed just in time for the January 6th festivities just after noon. Most people given this information would likely say, Holy cow, we've got to get to the bottom of this. In any major country in the world, if bombs were found at the major party headquarters, law enforcement would quickly get to the bottom of things and find the culprit. But in the case of the January 6th pipe bomber, the select committee in Congress has shamelessly dragged its feet. Viewers can even see the pipe bomber on surveillance videos from January 5th, but the government did little to quickly apprehend a culprit. Instead, the Pelosi-Cheney Select Committee continued destroying documents and videos instead of doing due diligence. January 6th was supposedly one of the great attacks on the American public since 9-11, at least according to left-wing pundits and media. So why has the government done so little to go after the actual terrorists involved? Are they simply incompetent? Or are they protecting a federal agent who planted bombs to justify the federal government's overreach in the January 6th investigation? This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, we have some work to do here to wrap up uh, uh, the program uh, talking about Roe v. Wade. Okay. Now, this is very important, and I'm going to put this up as a post on uh, ProAmericaReport.com with a probably a little bit uh, broader explanation. Here we go. It's the anniversary of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton uh, from 1972. And every January, January 22nd, there has been a March for Life. And the March for Life continues. And there's around the March for Life, there are lots of really great pro-life groups and pro-life conferences. But of course, in June of, of 2022, uh, Dobbs, the Dobbs decision came down and Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton are gone. They're dead. They were terrible decisions. They made up the law and good riddance. And they were they were used to allow lots of uh, of a, a right to kill. But here's where it gets interesting. First of all, the pro-life community, people that care about stopping abortion and helping to respect life. We got a lot of work to do because you're trying to figure out what happens when you don't have the big bad wolf, you know, the boogeyman Roe v. Wade. And you got a lot of work to do to build the coalitions and build the groups and to foster the culture of life. And that's a big challenge. Um, but this week, this week, there are gatherings. Bring lots of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in Washington, D.C., uh, also in states. There'll be state marches and commemorations and all and focusing on the focus for life. Well, 10 days ago, as I've talked about on this program, the deputy campaign manager for uh, Joe Biden went on Meet the Press and he was asked, OK, your boss just kicked off uh, his reelection campaign. He gave a speech. It was a, a dark speech, a hateful speech. I think it was very unimpressive. Uh, but the but uh, Kristen Welker on Meet the Press said to this campaign manager of Joe Biden, what is the day one priorities of Joe Biden? in his second term as president. And she said it two different ways. You know, what is what is the, the priorities you're going to have it on, on day one? What is it you care about? And the campaign manager said, Joe Biden said, well, the number one campaign manager, a, a campaign, well, the number one thing we're going to do, Joe Biden's committed to, is restore Roe, restore Roe. Now, he went on to say, by the way, the other two priorities were uh, gun, gun, uh, a fight to limit gun rights, um, and and address gun rights and, and limit them. And then the last one was uh, insulin. Insulin is too expensive. And those were the three examples. Now, pausing for a moment and understanding how insane it is that Joe Biden as a politician is not even trying to run on what is the, the usual lie from Joe Biden and other people, Democrats, as well as some Republicans, is we're worried about the middle class. We're worried about American jobs. We'll stand up to China. He didn't even bother. It's restore Roe. It's gun rights, which is for suburban moms. That's a, that's an issue that suburban moms get excited about. And the last one is insulin. Insulin is predominantly an African-American problem. And frankly, it's an Afri African-American mom problem because they're worried about their kids. So you have a guy that's caring about what? Abortion rights. That's young women uh, and, and gun and, and limiting gun rights. That's suburban women. And then living and looking for cheaper insulin. That's black women. Uh, Joe Biden is the last Democrat male that will ever be president. The party is now a party that relies completely, well, say it differently, it relies on women. It is a woman's party, women's issues, women's focus, women's attitude, women's anger. And it has some men that vote for it, mostly, I think, broken dudes. But I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But back to my point here. This is what I want, what you need to know, and what I want to focus on for a minute is when someone says their number one priority is restoring Roe, what does that mean? Well, Roe v. Wade was a right to abortion that was based in a privacy right. 
And so what does it mean to restore Roe? Do you mean the privacy right? We have a better indication. Nancy Pelosi, after Dobbs, the Dobbs decision came down, she filed her restore Roe bill. And the bill, which if it had become law, would have not only restored Roe, created a federal privacy right to abortion, which would it wouldn't be constitutional. But the Constitution is now silent on whether you have a right to an abortion or a right to life. But what was happening before was Roe v. Wade was saying you have a constitutional right to abortion and no one can limit it. Now they've got that out of the way. And what Nancy Pelosi is saying is, hey, let's let's put into law federal law that says you can never limit abortion. It has to be accessible. And then Nancy Pelosi, not me, Nancy Pelosi, her restore Roe movement, her restore Roe law would also get rid of all of the things that limit the promotion of abortion, using tax dollars, the the supporting of all these, all these things would go out of the way. Hyde Amendment would be gone. Uh, the any of the kind of uh, conscience objections that you say I don't want to participate, all be gone. They would all be overridden by the row this restoring row law that Nancy Pelosi wants to pass. Now, I just told you at the beginning, Joe Biden's number one priority: women for abortion rights, women for limited guns rights and and also women for insulin. Now, here's one more detail. Always, 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 what have I taught you? What do I talk about? Follow the money, follow the money. When you follow the money, restoring Roe is a hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars every year directly to Planned Parenthood. So now think about what the Democrat Party has done. They've given up on working unions, people that actually work, and they what are they, what are they about? They're about leftist women, and the teachers union. So how do you, how do you, what do you do with money? How do you get money to these? Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is the left's vehicle using federal tax dollars and state tax dollars and everything else, tax benefits, to fund the campaigns for the people to get in office. And I just point again to the suburban pro-life Democrat, a liberal in almost every way, Daniel Lipinski, who was primaried, primaried in a Democrat primary by an AOC-backed, Pelosi-backed, pro-abortion candidate because he wouldn't change his position on abortion. That's the state of the Democrat Party. So Joe Biden, on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, with all these hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people in America celebrating and marching and trying to promote the culture of life, he says, let's restore Roe because I'm the party. I'm beholden to the leftist women, and we've got to get the money to them. What a disaster. All right, that's it. We got to run. Pro America Report, Ed Martin. Thank you, Ryan Hyde, Mason Mohan. Thank you for tuning in. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to see more, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.